Hello, everyone. Uh, let's see, today is what, the 6th? Yes, it is. Wednesday, May 6, 2015. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the... Ooh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I lost some inches there, didn't I? There we are. Uh, this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat on MMAfighting.com. Um, thank you for joining me today. Today on the podcast, we'll talk about John Jones a little bit. Let's see, Metamora 6 is on Saturday, and no one seems to know it. There is uh, Hunt versus Miocic technically on, I think, the 10th, um, and a lot more to get to. Mayweather-Pacquiao hangover, Pacquiao's being sued by a bunch of idiots, a lot to get to. And the best place to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com. You can also get at me on Twitter, at SBNLukeThomas. Um, I'm on Facebook as well, Facebook.com slash Sports, and a bunch of other places. I'm back in the D.C. office. It's not the greatest uh, lighting here. I don't know why, what's happening. I can't quite get the angle right on this. See, it changes when I do that. I don't know. It's going to be a little bit dark on my face, but who cares? Because I look like I haven't slept in about four and a half years, and I feel that way too. So, with that said, uh, let's get this process going, shall we? First question. Oh, yeah, by the way, today is brought to you by, not officially, of course, um, but you know how this goes, Diet Barks. This is the stuff that tastes like Robitussin. Yikes. Let's see how good it is. Oh, that's disgusting. That is a truly disgusting be beverage. Is it not? Is it not? All right. Let's go. First question here. Oh, yeah. Before we get going, um, if you could let everyone know you're watching via Twitter, Facebook, social media, Punch someone in the face at your gym and tell them, hey, this is on. You link up the video. You link up the video post. All that's really appreciated. All right. First question. UFC being sold. Uh, why are there constant rumors and talks of the UFC being sold? There was a potential story and rumor that UFC was close to being sold, but the buyer had backtracked out last minute. I'd like to ask why Zufa wants to sell the UFC. Isn't the UFC the main source of the Fertitta's income now? Why would they sell it and lose the extra source of income? This is getting too much work for them. Are they losing money running the UFC? Well, I don't know that they are trying to sell. I mean, I think they've had a, probably a couple of serious offers along the way that they have avoided. I, I can't speak to any of the current rumors and whether they have any validity or not. But I don't know why I would be so surprised they would want to, sue, uh, to sell. They had a $40 million in the hole, and now it's worth at least a billion, billion and a half, maybe a little bit more. It's not going to get much more valuable. As a property, that's when you would want to sell at its peak. You have turned it around. You have made this much. You have developed this much of a uh, asset wealth. Um, it's not going to get any greater. Time to offship it. Um, certainly, I believe that the UFC and the people who run it care deeply about mixed martial arts. I don't think they've done the things they've done um, strictly for profit initiative. But I also don't think that they've everything they've done is strictly for altruistic initiative. They're businessmen. And there's nothing wrong with being businessmen, but they're businessmen. Um, it should not come as a surprise that an asset that was a liability that they purchased on the cheap that was then converted into a billion-dollar enterprise would be uh, would be something that they would want to monetize by you know selling. Uh, I don't know why that would be surprising to anyone. Really, uh, it's not going to get. A whole lot more valuable. I mean, it probably gets, could get some more valuable, but probably not a whole lot. It's probably at its peak in terms of it's what it's actually going to be worth. 
And the question is, do they want the continued headache of running it? Maybe they do, but maybe they don't. So that's what, how I would look at it. I think a lot of people look at it and say, you know, these guys love MMA and I would not dispute that in any capacity, but I would also, I would be very, very, uh, I'd be very reluctant to view everything they do as strictly a matter of um, what's in MMA's best interest. They're also going to do what's in their best interest, and there's nothing wrong with that. All right. What are some of your bold yet reasonable MMA predictions for the rest of 2015? My bold yet reasonable prediction for the rest of 2015 is that people are going to ask me for things I can't possibly give an answer to, namely this question. Thoughts on Jacek versus uh, Penny, a title fight headlining the Berlin Fight Pass card. Um, I don't mind it at all. I think it's actually a pretty good call. I think a lot of folks were saying, oh, you know, um, this is one of the situations where the UFC can't win. I'll give them some credit. This is one where they just can't win because if you put this on a pay-per-view, you could put it in a co-main slot, but even then it's not necessarily the most like, oh my God, awesome thing in the world. Uh, you might get less of a pass. If you tried to headline a card with it on, even on Fox, but especially on pay-per-view, you'd get torched. Um, I have been saying for a long time, it's, does it make sense to try and put pay-per-view, or excuse me, does not make sense to try and put UFC title fights in places where it's not promotionally appropriate? A 115 women's fight for a title on Fight Pass seems totally appropriate. Um, now, whether or not that gives you enough value for your Fight Pass experience as a customer is maybe a separate question. I think it's probably adds some to it, although one wonders if they put it on there just as a means of um, keeping fans engaged because there hasn't been quite as much original Fight Pass content this year. Um, you know, and I don't, when I say original Fight Pass content, I, I don't mean, you know, oh, there's two fights on the prelims, they air on Fight Pass, then there's the rest of the prelims and they go on to pay-per-view. I don't mean that. I mean, like, exclusive Fight Pass content, right? Um, they've had Invicta, but, you know, and that's fine, but that doesn't really, that isn't, that isn't exactly, I think, what UFC fans bargained for when they were expecting something. But be that, be that as it may, to me, the central issue here is this is an appropriate place for this title. Even in Bellator. Some of their fights don't make uh, title fights don't make the bigger show, you know. Even in Bellator, and and I think that's okay. This is a fight that uh, would be better put suited in Europe. As a consequence, it'd be suited for a mechanism that can um, help with the broadcasting realities. That being Fight Pass, less so pay per view, uh, and you know, uh, Jessica uh, is a uh, you know. I may be good at Gongadelia first and had a rematch, but I guess they didn't want to do that. So I think she'll be a decent challenge. I expect Jacek to win, but you know, all things being equal, it's it's fine. I really have very little issue with it. I tend not to overthink it. If they had put, you know, John Jones, if you were still champion, they put him on fight pass, yeah, you'd have a problem. But I don't think that because it's a title fight, it belongs in some lofty position. It belongs where it's promotionally appropriate. Headlining role, yes, headlining role on a fight pass card. Um, let's see. Miocic versus Hunt. I haven't even looked at the odds for this one. Just let me see. Really? Let's see. 
They got Miocic as a fairly heavy favorite. That's a little bit surprising. Um, obviously, he showed a pretty good chin. Um, I could see him sticking the jab and moving. Um, but I think Hunt is much more of a live dog in this one than the odds would indicate. I'm not saying you necessarily have to pick him, but um, I think Hunt is a little bit faster than people realize. I think Hunt, obviously, we know his power is sort of legendary and still ever-present. You know, he got caught by Verdun, but I don't think that um, – and he got called by Dos Santos. Um, yeah, I just don't know that Miocic is that kind of striker. He might be. He might be. But Miocic is a little bit more, uh, he's technically refined, but a little more limited in the kind of strikes that he likes to use to win fights. Um, I think it was the creativity, both that sort of like wheel kick and the flying knee from Verdum and, and Dos Santos that sort of caught Miocic or um, Hunt by surprise. I don't know that how replicable that actually is given who Miocic is but uh, he's the favorite so should be an interesting fight person says I see a close decision or a hunt finish yeah baby UFC wants DC to win a title question mark let's put DC's age aside do you think the UFC may be rooting for DC to win against Johnson if Johnson were to win the title, you can bet the media would hammer him and ask him questions regarding his domestic abuse allegations, especially considering the former champ Jones has had his troubles. Do you think the UFC may not want to deal with any more bad press? Um, that's an interesting question. Well, I don't think they'd put him in a title fight if they were really ultimately that concerned. Um, that's the first thing I'd say about it. The second thing I'd say is I don't know how robust those questions would be. I think they would probably play a role, but um, and who knows what the truth of the matter is. All I mean to say is, you know, Mayweather at least served some time in jail. Um, I wouldn't put him on the exact same level. Mayweather is deeply unrepentant. Johnson is to an extent as well, actually. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a problem if Johnson became champion in that regard. But I just, at the outset, don't see the same kind of liability. You know, um, Mayweather is utterly unrepentant and kind of almost dickish about it. You know, almost, almost flaunts the fact that he's unrepentant about it. Um, Johnson's sort of one of these guys who talks about past mistakes and wanting to move forward and, and things like that. In the end, will that save him? I don't know. Um, I'm sure they'd be happy with either guy being champion to some extent. Johnson, as you mentioned, a little bit younger. Um, plenty of upside in terms of marketability. I don't think that his liability is as a, uh, terms of his previous issues, will be that limiting. And then Cormier, of course, is just the easiest guy in the world to promote. Someone says, I couldn't disagree more with the prime. This is not me. This is them. I couldn't disagree more with the premise that the UFC wants DC to win this fight. I think it's the exact opposite. DC winning means the UFC has a light heavyweight champion that they legitimately can't present and promote as the best fighter in the division. If Anthony Johnson wins, he has a much more plausible claim to that status since he hasn't lost to bones and has looked like an absolute wrecking machine. DC winning the belt does not help the UFC, and since he probably will, it would have been prudent to just make an interim belt once they decided not to fire Jones one person's opinion interesting question we've heard this time and time again where media would openly cheer for a fighter 
Some Brazilian MMA media, and more notably and recently Filipino media, would cheer and clap for Pacquiao. Are foreign media not taught to try and be as unbiased as possible when covering an event, fighter, or fight? Are foreign media aware of the unwritten rules to being a journalist? Right, so I mean, I think there's a couple of responses here. One is that there are some different expectations as you cross countries, right? Um, I don't know that all of them have the same standards or expectations about what it all means. So there's definitely that. I think the second part is you have to understand what kind of media shows up to these things, you know, especially someone like a Pacquiao fight where it was, you know, insane. Um, you do get some who are very serious journalists, and then you get some who are not even basically out, outright entertainment reporters. Um, it's just, and they come with huge, heavy crews, man. You know, those entertainment reporters, you may look at them and laugh, but when you see the kind of resources that they have from cameramen to equipment to lighting to uh, space in the room to do the interviews to the kind of magnetism they get with PR people bringing fighters by, you know, they, they are a they are a big portion of fight week. They just, they just are, you know, they just absolutely are. And whether you like it or not, and they have big entourages and makeup people and, and um, you know, just sound engineers. And um, so a lot of times what you're getting is not necessarily the people who aren't supposed to be clapping, clapping. You're getting the people who you just don't care what they do, doing whatever it is that they do. So I think it's a couple of things. I think, yes, there are some different expectations about what's happening here. I think secondly, it's what I mentioned about who's there in terms of actual media. Um, and then thirdly, I would say, you know, even if you had these rules about objectivity, you know, the Philippines is still largely, I think, a very desperately poor place. Some of that's changing. There are there is some um, social stratification, but it's still, you know, Manny Pacquiao is still very much an icon in a way that we don't have an icon like that. We don't even view collectively our president in such a way. Um, and so one sort of wonders what would happen if we did have something like that. Would national passions be stoked in such a way that uh, that erstwhile objective, experienced, credentialed journalists who would not normally cheer would then cheer? You know, I, I sort of wonder about all that. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's great by any stretch. I really am sort of a point in my life where like, Combat sports media across the board is so effed up that, you know, I just don't have the energy to really worry about what anyone else is doing. I'm just going to worry for the most part about what I'm doing. I mean, there will be some exceptions here or there, and I'll just sort of do what I can to lead by example and make as few mistakes as I can. Beyond that, though, it's such a uh, cesspool of, of uh, rank amateurs or, you know, weird rules or... Um, even credential people who are also part of the experience too, you know, all you can really do is make the alliances you want to make, do the work you want to do, and uh, and just try to get through a day. That's that's really about it. Uh, let's see. Rumor is that the UFC will be announcing a 115 men's division during the fight week in Manila. Uh, I think our own Ariel Helwani found out that that was nonsense, and I would be highly surprised if that ever happened. Or not, I shouldn't say ever. If that happened then. <laughs> 
Why is there a huge delay for Ariel's pre and post fight interviews to be uploaded to YouTube, whereas your interviews get uploaded to YouTube the same time you upload it to MMA fighting? Side note, thanks for actually uploading your interviews to YouTube in a timely manner. Well, it's got nothing to do with me or him. Uh, it was just the way we covered this event. So I was credentialed through um, SB Nation. So what we did was, um, you know, our, our YouTube channel is really robust. So we said, you know what, let's put our, um, let's put our YouTube stuff on the MMA fighting channel and let's put our, the other player, the Uyala player, let's put that on SB Nation. And then that way that we can split the views and they can have all the Uyala vids and we'll take the, um, and we'll just take the YouTube vids. We won't upload on our own Uyala account. They have their own Uyala account over there. And so that was why. It's got nothing else to do with it. Once we go back to covering uh, straight MMA events, um, we'll put up the Uyala vids. It's, that's the whole bit. Can you explain why uh, MMA Hour and Beat cannot be broadcast on YouTube? It's because we have different, there's so many different moving pieces of the tech side of the company here. Some use what I use, which is just sort of one man band type operation. There's studios in New York. There's a studio like right to my right over here. And they all sort of use different tools and mechanisms to get things by. Um, and that's the answer why. It's, it's not much more complicated than that. But the long story short is that um, we just wanted to use the MMA Fighting's channel because it's the YouTube channel because it's so, like, uh, it's so strong. And then we give all the Uyala stuff to SB Nation, which is also very, very strong, but we just split it that way. But again, if you do just straight MMA, it'll, it'll just go back to what it normally is. This is only a difference because I was credentialed through SB Nation. So they get our main video player, which is Uyala, and then the other stuff goes on MMA Fight. How much longer does Mark Hunt have in his career? Mark Hunt is a freak of KFC nature, baby. He is as dangerous as ever, the number fourth ranked heavyweight in the UFC, and seems to always be a couple of wins away from a title. However, being 41 years old currently makes him one of the oldest fighters in the UFC, coming off a recent knockout loss and having, having been through countless wars in his career. Would you, say, would you be willing to see Mark Hunt retire? Let's see how he looks, you know? To your point, 41 is certainly older, but like the, the guy's second chapter of his career is just so utterly unexpected. I think it'd be very difficult for any of us to say, well, it's time for old Mark Hunt to hang it up. But we've been saying that for a while. Certainly, I've been guilty of that. I thought the Sean McCorkle fight was nuts, um, and he lost that fight. I was like, what are we doing here? You know, he just, he just, it's gone for him. And then he mounts this incredible comeback. So, Look, here's what I would say. He got knocked out by Verdum, and that's not great. I think he needs to go through all the requisite medical screenings. <coughs> Pardon me. If there are any additional medical screenings because he's over 40, I'd be, I'd be all in favor of him having to go through that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he hasn't shown the kind of signs of decline that are telltale in terms of saying, okay, well, now we have some problems. There aren't any obvious red flags, and I think, until those present themselves. Um, while we should be proactive about screening on the front end, we shouldn't be too reactive on the back end. Not for now. But, you know, if he comes out looking terrible against Miocic, we can revisit this conversation. Okay. Review buys for Mayweather versus Pacquiao in the general promotion of a super fight. 
I heard a report from Kevin Ioli that they are actually looking at 4 million buys. I can tell you by a very good source, they think it could go as high as 4.5 million. That's the very generous end of things, but I don't think it's going to be just, here's what I would say. If it's just 4 mil, it's just 4 mil. Hell, if it's 3, 9 mil, that's still amazing. But if it goes above 4 mil, don't be surprised. If this was the case, could this fight have done 5 million buys easily if the fight took place in May of 2012? which was before Pacquiao actually lost and would have been a, literally a 50-50 fight in the betting odds. This is a great question. This is something I've been thinking about all week. Uh, I saw a video today of, I don't know how recent it was, but Rashad Evans on um, an episode of The Fighter and the Kid talking about not this fight in particular, but about the UFC sort of figuring out itself and working out its schedule. To me, Mayweather-Pacquiao represents a lot of things. But for the purposes of this conversation and this particular question, I think what it represented to me was some of the circumstances of what happened here, if not many of them, are utterly unique. But I just can't get away from the fact that the incubation period, the gestation period of this fight, that it was supposed to happen in 2009 or 2010, that it did not happen until 2015, in the end, um, and forget about the fight itself for just a second, just the buildup, which we can all agree was amazing. It was directly related to the gestation period. Directly related. Now, I am not going to sit here and make an argument that, well, the longer you wait for a fight to happen, the more interest that there is. Again, there are so many unique circumstances here. Uh, about who these guys are in stature, about why negotiations failed, about why interest was enduring, about um, the camps being battling with one another. I mean, everything here sort of um, made for a situation that I don't think is very replicable. But what I would say is that it was just an important reminder that buildup matters, not just beforehand, but afterwards. To me, I think the idea that you can promote a fight on a week or two or even three weeks of hype is, is just not is just not correct. It's just not correct. It does not work. You can get by with it. You can do things with it. You are not maximizing anything that way. It was such an important reminder that so much of the fight game is anticipation and waiting and the strain of it and the stress of it and the fun of it and the, um, and the rumination that happens during this process. Build-up matters. Having fights promoted well in advance matters. And again, five years is insane. I mean, there may never be anything like this ever again. But six months is, is to me, great. Three months to me is, is, is minimum in some way if the fight's big enough. If the fight's big enough. Um, you know, and if you have a fight on Fight Pass that you don't want to promote because it's, well, you know, it's on Fight Pass and how many resources can you realistically devote to it? Yeah, fine. But we are still at a position, and I don't care what anyone else says, and everyone in the world can tell me I'm wrong, and UFC brass can laugh in my face. I'm sorry. We are not at a schedule right now that allows for maximum optimization in terms of fight promotion. I don't, I don't, it's not, to me, it's not even up for debate. It's just not up for debate. You can't. You cannot tell me that these fights are promoted to their full potential. Some might be. Uh, one or two fights on a card might be. But we are not in a, We are not generally calendar-wide in the space where we can do that. And I don't mean because of injuries. I mean if the fights at all stayed intact, 
still wouldn't be possible. And I frankly feel like Metamorris is getting run over for a lot of reasons, not least of which is, I don't know what they're doing. We'll get to that in a second. But part of it is this, I mentioned pre and post fight. There's post fight hangover. Now, that's why I think Canelo Kirkland will be interesting because all the boxing fans will be on there. It's on HBO, so you don't have to pay anything extra for it. Um, it's a great live attraction. And so they probably Golden Boy probably did that one just right. Plus, they maybe thought that if Mayweather Pacquiao had done well as a fight itself, they wanted to piggyback off the off the off the buzz that had came from that. Now there wasn't much, obviously, in the end, but you get the idea. Anyway, for me, you know, again, in some ways, maybe maybe Mayweather Pacquiao is not the best example because it's such an outlier. But it was such an important reminder. Like in the end, why was this fight so big? It was so big because the fight promotion was so big. And the fight promotion was so big because it had a long time to linger and change and develop and bring you along. It was the ultimate pre-fight story. And without pre-fight stories and narratives and twists and turns on their own, it's it's hard to get people invested. It's just hard to get people invested. People were invested in this one because they didn't want to miss history. And they didn't want to miss that because it was a key, half a decade was spent trying to get these two guys together. You know, it's just maybe maybe even more in some ways. You know, um, that's that's just so like we lose sight of that sometimes. I think these days when we watch these events, yeah, I think um, you know, does anyone really? By the time one eighty seven comes around and passes, will we really still be thinking about what Luke Rockhold had done? Okay, the hardcore among us will, but the average person, eh, is that really fair to them? You know. Again, pre-fight and post-fight, there's supposed to be a lingering feel because there's, there's got to be space for everything to breathe beforehand, during, and afterward. And I feel like we've totally lost sight of that in the interest of just getting content out the door. You know, the UFC is focused so much on growing, and I think that's cool. I would really like to see a return to not so much growth, but quality. Uh, and I'm going to keep harping on that until something changes. Second part of the question. Also, it amazes me the little amount of production they needed to get the fight like this off the ground. Because they'd been doing it for five years. It just didn't need anything by that point. The fight wasn't even official until three months before the fight. Uh, the whole promotion aspect was, uh, uh, with the lack of 24-7 coverage of multiple city press stores felt rushed. And it didn't even matter at the end of the day. I wonder what they could have actually gotten with a proper six-month build. Nothing extra. It wouldn't have mattered. They didn't need to do any of that. They, these two were such iconic figures. And the, the idea of them getting together was so huge that it didn't even necessitate anything. By the way, I won't read you any of the numbers. We set all time per second, minute, hour, day, weekend, month traffic records with this. It almost broke our entire ability to handle traffic. If there had been a Pacquiao KO, it would have melted everything. It would have melted the internet. I'm not kidding. The, the traffic tsunami, I can be here another 20 years. I don't know if we'll see anything like that. It was ridiculous. It essentially set all records for everything. Any kind of measurable record, it's set at this company. Uh, again, I won't show the specific numbers, but it was it was a tsunami, a tsunami of traffic. And to think that it could have been even more with Pacquiao, you know, laying him out, or even Mayweather stopping him, you know, um, is sort of scary to think about. It, it pushed everything, it pushed our internal resources to even handle the traffic at this company to the max, right? Bellator question. What do you think of touted prospect Darian Caldwell getting a big step up in competition and facing Rafael Silva at Bellator 137 next week for his 135 debut? Too big of a step up? No, I don't think so. I've been liking Caldwell, how he's been looking at MMA. I think he's got excellent timing and the most takedowns off of his strikes. 
um, big and strong and fast. I like his submission defense. Um, I, th I think he'll do just fine. I think he'll do absolutely just fine. It's a good test, I admit, but you know, I'm definitely not wavering on my fight pick there. How bummed were you upon hearing that Habib pulled out of the Cowboy fight? I really didn't get that bummed about it, to, if I'm being honest. Not because I don't care, but because partly I was sort of busy uh, busy with fight week. And then secondly, uh, I don't know, man, I'm just sort of used to it now. I really am, you know. Uh, I would have been awesome to see. I hope they fight again. I don't know what's going to happen with all this time off for Habib. It's not good for his career. It's not good for him as an athlete. But uh, I'm just completely numb to it. I'm just utterly and completely numb to it. I really am. I just don't. I'm not saying I don't care, but I'm I'm not particularly moved. You were the UFC, and I'm not. But if I was, who would you want to win the title fight between DC and Johnson in terms of marketability? Sort of already explored that. Uh, John Jones and Reebok. By the time John returns, assuming he does, the UFC's uniform policy will be in place. Even though Jones has lost his individual sponsorship, do you expect he will still wear Reebok gear to the cage like all other fighters? I've been wondering about this. I think folks have looked into it and, and been un unable to get an answer. Um, my guess is he's going to do one of two things. He's going to wear sort of nondescript Reebok clothing, or he'll wear um, sort of clothing that's essentially been made that's been stripped of any kind of uh, um, logoing at all. My guess, though, is that these guys who have these deals, McGregor, Van Zandt, uh, you know, Ronda, whoever, when their gear finally comes out, it will look very tailored to them and will have their branding on it. Um, but I don't, and I think everyone else will just look very generic. But uh, but I, I think he'll still have a Reebok gear on. And by the way, this is not a problem I thought ever needed solving. You know, you look at these boxers like uh, from this past fight, you know, individuality in combat sports, I think, is huge. I think it's huge. People keep asking, you know, when's there going to be a Mayweather versus Pacquiao type fight in MMA? I don't think ever. <laughs> You'd have to have a, somebody who can graduate to the level of Mayweather, where he has a company. Remember, Golden Boy wasn't a part of this. It was Mayweather Promotions in association with Top Rank. And Mayweather Promotions did most of the heavy lifting because they were in most of the control. How are you going to get someone in MMA who's promotionally that relevant? Look at Rampage Jackson's contract. He tried to sue them saying, well... Um, you know, you didn't promote me enough, but the contract says promoter has sole discretion on everything. So how's that going to work? Right. Mayweather will have someone, you know, everyone complains, oh, well, in boxing, these fights take forever to get made. And they do. But they got a lot more protections over there. They got a lot more protections. The higher end ones do anyway. Uh, so how are you going to get someone who can graduate to a level like that and then have another contemporary who can graduate to a level that's pretty similar to that? You just don't. Listen, I have no doubt that UFC wants their fighters to be rich and successful and be on TV and be on Jimmy Fallon and be cultural icons. But I doubt they want them so popular that they have a their own promotional company that has a seat at the table. I don't suspect that that would ever be very interesting to them, right? But you know, that's sort of that's that to me. Is sort of the, the you know, could you imagine a Ronda Rousey fight where it's like uh, UFC in, in association with Rousey Promotions? That that that's what we required. It's something someone who's so powerful that they can make them do what M1 with Fedor couldn't.
right? Um, but anyway, uh, in terms of Reebok, you know, was there any was there any real problem with having Mayweather wearing his own things, even if it was ostentatious and gaudy? Was there any real problem with Pacquiao wearing what he was wearing, even if it was just whatever designed for Filipinos exclusively? There's like no problem with it. To me, this is a problem that net would never needed to be solved. But what are you gonna do? I don't know about you, but I love this cross promotional RFA versus Legacy event on Friday. Would you like to see more of these types of cross promotional cars? For example, M1 Global versus 1FC, World Series of Fighting versus Bellator. Yeah, sure. But someone I think makes a great point afterwards, and they say both promotions events are broadcasted on the same network. I think that's really sort of the key here is that that takes out a big hurdle. I asked Bob Aram, I was like, would you guys ever work with Showtime? Or yeah, would you guys ever work with Showtime again? Top rank being associated with HBO. He didn't say no. But he definitely stressed that getting this fight made was an extraordinarily painful process. Um, and it took these two superstars for them to make it happen. It's not like they can go through it again. So, you know, Bellator has no incentive uh, exactly to work with World Series of Fighting. And I don't know why World uh, 1FC would want to work with, uh, or one championship would want to work with M1 Global. So, um, but I can see how Access TV fights and Access TV We'll have some interest in having legacy versus RFA. That that to me makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of um, not that you want to know who's better, but that it's a little bit fun to see you know worlds collide and what could happen and um, to create someone who sort of as the dominant feature uh, fighter among these different organizations. Uh, that that to me has some has some interest. And as a consumer, you could say the same thing about Bellator versus World Series of Fighting. But there's just so many other hurdles. To, you know who would air the fight? Um, who, what would the rev split be? Um, it's just all kinds of problems. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brian Suits's recent interview and his praise of you? I have not heard it yet, so I'll take a listen to this after the show. Uh, is MMA playing a dangerous game trying to capitalize on boxing being boring? I saw Lorenzo take to Twitter jumping on the silly idea this was a win for MMA. It is not a win for MMA. It's like not even remotely a win for MMA. I felt that Mayweather versus Pacquiao left a more of a sour taste in the casual fans' mouth of fights in general and just wasn't a win for MMA. Quick example, there was a casual boxing fan I watched uh, the Mayweather fight with on Saturday night. This guy wasn't an MMA fan either, just really into the main U.S. stick and ball sports. He hated the boxing match. My one friend suggested MMA to him, and he replied, they suck too once it hits the ground. Can we put to bed the idea of uh, boxing having a bad night just gets people less excited about combat sports in general because MMA has plenty of champions like GSP who weren't slugging it out and left and right, left, I don't know what the hell you're saying here. Yes, here's the point. This is totally right. This is totally right. Look, even a giant knockout by Pacquiao would still have pretty marginal impact on um, MMA. So either way, it doesn't really affect things. Um, although it would be better if, if Pacquiao had won for MMA. But like I said this on Ariel's show on Monday, we've, we've played this game, y'all. We've done this already. When, when Pacquiao beat Bradley the first time, when I say beat, I mean that was one of C.J. Ross's finest moments as a judge because he sort of lost to Pacquiao. Don't you remember the outrage that happened? Oh, my God, look at this. This is incredible. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm done with boxing. I'm done with this. Celebrities even getting on Twitter. I'm, I'm back to UFC, blah, 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 blah. No, you're not. 
two weeks ago, you got people walking out of a UFC main event. It's got one. We like to think of these uh, sports as similar. Oh, because they're striking and boxing and they wear gloves. And MMA has borrowed the architecture of it because there's weigh-ins and there's pressers and there's managers and trainers. And it feels like we're kissing cousins, but they're not. They're completely different worlds. When I go to a boxing event, you know how many faces I recognize? Not many. You know how many know who I am? Not many. It's just a completely, totally, utterly different world. There's some overlap. There's not much. They're really very, very different sports. They're totally different sports with different audiences, different people involved in the higher ups and the middle ranks and those foot soldiers. They're just different worlds. They're totally different worlds. They have different appeals. They do different things. And even if you think, well, one has a knockout and the other one has a knockout. This one has rounds and that one has rounds. These are really, in the end of the day, frankly, artificial you know, markers of significance. In the end, who is part of this world and who is part of this world? And the answer is they just touch here at the end and they're otherwise entirely separate. Mayweather Pacquiao was so big that it had subsumed the sports world. And so in that sense, everyone was kind of willing to give it a look. But day in, day out, these are totally different worlds that have no relationship to one another. And the idea, it's like someone being like, man, you see that World Series game? It was boring. Is this a win for cricket? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an utterly moronic thing to, to say or think. It it's just makes no sense whatsoever. You know, oh, basketball had a uh, – boy, the NBA finals were bad. Is this a win for water polo? Like, uh, no. Why would it be? It's the same thing. MMA and boxing may look more similar than these exaggerated examples I just gave you. But in the end, it's really not much different than asking that. It's just not. It's really, really totally not. Doesn't mean anything. I think if Pacquiao had won, bang, you know, like let's say let's say Pacquiao had knocked him out in the tenth or eleventh round, in the way he knocked out Hatton. Okay, let's say that happened. First of all, again, it would have melted the entire company because we couldn't have taken the surge in traffic. Um, and then beyond that, I think that it would have been good for UFC that it happened. Right. Because you would have said, wow, look at this, man. That You know what? That's the boxing I remember. That's the boxing my dad always talked about or my relatives always talked about. That's the boxing that, you know, that when man, when boxing is good, wow, is it good, you know? And you may be willing, a couple of people at the margin might be willing to say, oh, you know what? I'll check out some UFC and maybe they would like it. Fight fans are made from big fights and big moments. But this is an UFC has cultivated. This is what they're good at. They've cultivated a new generation of fight fans. They didn't co-opt the existing one. That's the difference here. That's a different generation, a different kind of fight fan. UFC has created a new one. And some like the other ones, but really it's mostly oil and vinegar. Uh, Almeida being tested against Pickett. Exciting prospect Tom Almeida is booked to battle tough UK veteran Brad One Punch Pickett. How will fighting Brad develop Almeida? Well, it's a return to 135 for Brad, so it's going to be interesting to see how he looks. I just think Almeida's speed is going to be too much for him. I also think Brad's a little bit chop-worn at this point. He's had some tough wars. He's had some tough losses. He's had some tough wins, if we're being realistic. Um, he's a great fighter still. He packs a serious punch. But I just feel like uh, Almeida's speed and combinations are going to be way too much for him at this point. Remember, remember how this game works, y'all. Rising young veteran, um, highly respected, or excuse me, rising young prospect, you know, crazy firepower and speed, 
respected, credentialed, if aging veteran. Not saying one will win because they're supposed to, but you know that's happening for a reason because the game feeds the elderly to the young. So if you ever see that matchup again, I'm not picking my go in there and blow them out in 30 seconds. You guys know how this game works, but that's kind of how the game works also on the other end, which is he's basically going to lose because that's just how the process works. Uh, what is the most compelling rematch the UFC could book? So we've got Pettis Henderson three, Barrow Dillashaw two, Dotson Johnson two, Holloway McGregor two, or Hendricks Lawler three. I'd probably go Barrow Dillashaw two. I'd then go uh, Hendricks Lawler three. I'd then go Dotson Johnson two. Holloway McGregor two, and then Pettis Henderson three. If you want to move around Holloway McGregor, feel free. Um, Pettis Henderson wouldn't be a bad fight, but the one guy's already lost twice, you know. Um, it takes the little steam out of it a little bit. That's a good question that I will wreck. Will John Jones fight again? On the MMA Hour this week, Malki Kawa mentioned that he was unsure if Jones would ever return following his suspension. Do you believe he will fight again? Yes. How much of a blow is it to UFC that if he never returns? It would be monumental, but I find that really unrealistic. Very unrealistic. Also, how much, if at all, would his legacy be overshadowed by this incident if he was to never fight again? Uh, it would define his legacy. It wouldn't be overshadowed by it. It would be his legacy, wouldn't it? His legacy would be part of it. I mean, it would be the most... It would be impossible to talk about John without it. And we're almost at that level now, if we're not already past there to some extent, right? We have a guy who has broken history, made history for his accomplishment in the ring and his F uppery outside of it. And it is amazing that he has done what he's done given the latter. And so, when you when when we talk about John, if he can you know get back on the straight and narrow, I think we'll look at this as a um, it will, we'll have to talk about it. You know, why did he lose his title? How did he get it back? If that sort of thing happens, and then you can sort of go on and talk about what else he does. But you know, again, I I I, I don't know. I'm not saying I got a bad feeling like something terrible is going to happen, um, but I'm I'm at this point I'm so skeptical of what's happening to him and around him that. Um, I'm not willing to give him the benefit of the doubt anymore. Not in terms of like, are you a good or bad person? I don't mean that. Or I just mean, do you do you have the ability to manage your affairs? Yes or no? It's a complicated question that you can't always give a binary answer to. But even with a spectrum, there's some parts where you just can't go beyond. And I just mean that. Is he basically does he have the ability? And I think if you are like me and you wonder, I don't know if he does. I really don't know. Hope he does. Maybe he does. He has all the resources to afford the kind of help that he needs. But in the end, he's his own man. He's going to do what he wants, right? Can't tell a grown man what to do. Unless he breaks some sort of terrible, terrible law. Um, does he have the ability to manage his affairs? I don't know. I don't know. Dude's facing jail time for this, you know. This is not insignificant. Um. You know, there have been many other athletes who have gone to jail and then come back and play. I think, you know, I've talked previously about Plaxico Burris, but 
you know, Burris was never the greatest wide receiver ever. He was very, very good, but he was never like, oh my God, Burris is, you know, he was never like a Randy Moss type. Um, and so you just wonder, you really just wonder, you know, is this dude going to throw it all away because he just cannot get it together? And maybe you say, oh, well, why can't he get it together? Maybe he doesn't have the skills. Maybe he doesn't have the decision-making that it's required to make the choices necessary to do the right things. I don't know. I don't know. You guys all think it's a matter of choice and that um, he just needs to exercise those options. It's never really that simple. If someone keeps doing this, maybe they don't have the skills to do that. They don't have the wherewithal to make the appropriate choice when it's supposed to be made. And when you think about that, and if that's his problem, that's much more significant. Maybe it's not, maybe he's just a young idiot and this will all fix itself. Okay, good. Um, but if the problem is a deeper rooted issue about you know risk management and life choices, well then you've got a different problem that you need to work on. Luke, I don't understand why folks aren't doing cartwheels about Miocic versus Hunt. Because it's on Fight Pass, there's been a million fights, and uh, it's hard to get about, it's excited about a fight that's not really promoted. Not, not much more to say about than that. <laughs> uh, why is MMA boxing so poor? Hold on, let me see something. Someone says, I disagree. For better or worse, the public and the media in cases have drawn enough comparison between boxing and MMA to compare them. Um, what does that mean? Media does all kinds of stupid things. Media can compare my Samsung Galaxy Note 4 to an apple. Doesn't make it an orange. I, I, to me, that's utterly irrelevant. Um, you know, again, again, I'm not saying all comparisons are out of bounds. I think, you know, looking at the pay-per-view industry, is important to see if there are insights that can be drawn about promotional entities trying to sell on pay-per-view space, but but these are two different worlds. If you go into a boxing gym, it does it. You feel like you've stepped into a different reality than when you go into an MMA gym. They just don't even feel the same. You're just in a totally separate world. Um, so the media can do what it wants. That's got nothing to do with the facts. But this Reebok deal work in favor of Bellator when you look at earning potential? Yes. Um, I think that, I don't know how lucrative it is, but I believe that Phil Davis gets to keep his Affliction sponsorship. Um, I bet you that they're paying more than Reebok would. I bet you. Why don't you just get Pepsi Max or Diet Dr. Pepper every time instead of suffering through Diet Barks? Because I have to get what they have here at the office. With the Reebok deal, do you think other promotions will make more money come July onward from sponsors? I, I don't know if it's a function of they'll make more money. Um, if you talk to folks at Bellator, they think that this Reebok deal is ultimately good for them because it makes guys like Phil Davis, who is thinking about his finances and his future and what's realistically possible, a little more interested in going with uh, Bellator because they can just make more money. Will Bellator make a lot more money from it? You know, I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how much it will shrink the overall market. 
but individual brands that have some crossover that aren't heavily reliant on MMA, but still have a foothold in it, I think they can have some success. So for example, like Affliction, or if someone, for example, got a GoPro sponsorship, right? You could see how that would be potentially lucrative or something like Johnson's Xbox. And maybe there's some that are less, you know, insane than that one, but you get the idea. The Reebok figures are out. Let's take a look at them. Wow, one to five bouts, you get 2,500 bucks. Six to 10 bouts, 5,000. 11 to 15 bouts, 10,000. Wow, 15 bouts, you're only making 10,000 bucks. 16 to 20 bouts, 15,000. 21 bouts and above, 20,000. Title challenger, 30. Champion, 40. Um, yeah, look, guys, this is just much less than what they're going to make normally. If there was no sponsor tax, um, and even with a sponsor tax, this is just less than they would make normally. I think it'll help the guys who are maybe in that one to 10 bout range. Um, so I don't think the deal is all bad. But if you're 11 bouts in and you're only making 10 grand, you know, it's that. Uh, you're just doing something wrong. And if you're 16, you could be 20 bouts in, only making 15 grand. That's just that's just very low. I have to think that they're gonna supplement this with some other kind of thing. This can this this just cannot be the final number. You if this were the final number, I think you'd have mutiny on your hands. I think this is gonna be supplemented with something else. I don't know if they're gonna pour in money from the monster energy deal. Or if they do some deal with like Sony or Samsung and that goes on the Reebok uniform, if that they'll get a cut then, um, I have to imagine that they would. I have to believe that that is what's going to happen because this, with the exception of the guys at one to 10 bouts, and even then it's, it's up or down, this is just lower than what they would get. This is just dramatically lower than what they would get. Um, and I've been saying it all along, 70 million over six years, do the math. It's just not a lot of money left. It's just not a lot of money left. So if they're going to supplement it, you know, we can kick this can down the road and have a conversation. I have to believe, I have to believe that they're going to supplement this because if they don't, this is a dramatic reduction. This is a dramatic reduction. Fighters, you know, listen, man, I've been saying all along, what do you think UFC is going to do? They're going to move ahead and they're going to make decisions. If you want to do something about it, then do something about it. But the, the last thing, I mean, I'm like, it's, it's not that I don't feel for them, you know, because I think I don't think the UFC made this money in bad faith. I think the UFC says, you know what, we're going to we're going to give you good gear. We're going to take away the responsibility of having to go out and look for these sponsors yourself. Um, we're going to base it on tenure. I think that's an improvement, too. And, you know, the more successful you are, and the longer you're here, the better you'll make money. I don't think anything's wrong with that, you know. Um, I think they made these numbers probably in good faith, but as we mentioned, as we've discussed a thousand times, you can't do something in good faith for someone else uh, unless you're hired to do so. You know, and even then, it takes constant participation and integration of their viewpoint and everything else. It's just not possible to do. It's it's just a fact of life. So you, even if you're trying to do the right thing, you're probably going to come up short. Especially if I, if I make money at your expense, or you know, collectively together we make a lot of money, but I have control over the purse strings. I'm going to give you what I think is fair, but what I think is fair is not what you're going to think is fair, even if I'm trying to do right by you, right? Even if I'm like, you know what? All right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this person. But you know what? I'm the one who put up this production. I'm the one who pays for these guys to fly out. I'm, I, you know, if I'm thinking about the UFC, 
we're really the source of the of the success here. Yeah, we need the fighters, but they need they need us more than we need them. We're going to take a bigger cut. Fighters may say, if you don't have us, you don't have a show. So you can think whatever you want about all the planes and all the food and all of the gear. If you don't have us, you have nothing. Um, and neither is necessarily wrong, but it's important for both parties to work that out. But if the fighters aren't going to get together and they're not going to do anything about it, you think the UFC is just going to wait around for you to do something? They're, they have a business to run. They have affairs to attend to. They're going to move forward. They're going to move forward with or without you. And I'm not saying that's the best thing in the world, but it's the world we live in. So, you know, while I'm not, I don't, I don't know how anyone can look at these numbers and think they're great. Um, at the same time, what's UFC supposed to do? Just wait around for them? They're trying to move this thing forward. Um, you know, I don't know anymore. I really don't. These fighters complain all the time and then do nothing about it. They show so much courage in the cage and want to do nothing outside of it to protect themselves. So it is what it is. King Connor's castle. <laughs> what do you make of the amazing pad that Connor has moved into to re, uh, as he trains ahead of the, uh, the Jose Aldo fight? Did you see this mansion he's living in? In the end, I think it's probably good for him. I think it'll feed his ego. His ego, I think, is central to his success. Um, obviously, he'll be living in comfort, which is probably important if he's going to be training hard. But um, yeah, it'll be funny if he loses, won't it? Not that I'm. Not that I will personally be laughing, but, you know, it's like you had every reasonable chance and everything necessary to succeed. If you don't, it's on you, man. I was like, back to these numbers. Can you imagine if you fought three times a year, let's say you won two of them at eight and eight. So that's 16 grand for the first five bouts. Um... So that would be 21 grand. If you won twice, you got two fights, that's five grand, plus the 16 grand, excuse me, 32 grand plus five grand. Um, so that would be 37 grand. Let's say you lost your third one. That would be, um, so 37 plus eight, uh, sorry, my, my brain is dead, 45 grand, right? That's before taxes and paying out your trainer. That's if you went two and one in the UFC in a year when you first got in. Sound like a lot of money to you? Endo versus Boach. Am I like an ever-increasing number of people right and thinking this is a bad matchup for Dan Henderson? It seems Hendo is getting slower and slower and just walks around the octagon with his H-bomb cocked. While whilst Boach has movement, fast, powerful, varied striking, and reasonable hand fighting and against the cage stuff. Um, I would not call Boach fast. That is not what I would say. Um, yeah, I would not call him fast at all. I think that this is a fight where you're right, where Henderson can crush him. I think if it, if they lock up, that this favors Boach. I think Boach is going to try and you know run him to the uh, into the fence to the ground. I think I, I don't know. I might favor Boach in this one. Um, not because I think he's super fast, but he is still pretty strong. And uh, I just think he's going to fight to his strengths, and his strengths are a little more comprehensive at this point than, than Henderson's. And Henderson's takedown defense has historically not been that great. Let's go back to the Twitter machine here for a second.
Um, someone says an interesting question, actually. How can John Jones have such a high fight IQ and have such poor life IQ? Honest question. It's a strange dichotomy. It's not. It's not. First of all, I mean, there's plenty of examples of like amazing athletes who have poor life management skills, right? But um, like, if it wasn't for MMA, I don't know how I'd be able to answer this question. But what I would say is, in meeting fighters, and you know, and to some extent, having trained with a, a few of them, not any in the UFC at this point, but um, you know, just still good professional athletes. Um, it's it, it's it's funny to watch them up close, you know, because if you're like me and you're not, you know. <laughs> Fighting is never going to be in my future. I just do it for exercise and to learn a few skills and because I enjoy it. Um, you see someone who, like I consider myself, um, I'm able to like manage a lot of my problems just by trying to think through them, right? And I think most people are just like that. I would say that's, that's the way I, I think about myself. And I try to apply that to athletics sometimes and have you know varying degrees of success. When you see someone who is outside of the ring not be able to do the things where they can think through their problems, and it, when you watch them in the same thing you're training in, just smoke you. You just begin to realize it's such a different part of the brain um, that you're accessing. Yes, it's critical thinking skills, and and yes, it's um, you know it's response to uh, stimuli and things like that. But when you when you when you say those things like critical thinking skills, what you wind up realizing is you're talking about something that's so nebulous and so high level as a concept. I shouldn't say high level, but like all encompassing. That you realize that the nitty gritty details are totally different, totally totally different. Um, you can have someone who is an amazing athlete who does amazing things in the in the in the in the line of work who does incredible things athletically because they're accessing a part of their brain. I really truly feel like that has very little or almost nothing to do with um, should I pay my taxes on time? Um, does it make sense to get behind the wheel and drive drunk? Uh, these are different skills that they deal with. In some ways, I think the recklessness, or I shouldn't say that, the, the, the risk management required to be a fighter, sometimes that might bleed over in a negative way. Like you need to believe in yourself as a fighter and you need to be, believe in your in the, in the requirement of taking a risk. You gotta take a punch in the face. You're gonna get kicked in the head. You're gonna get body slammed. You're gonna get, um, someone's gonna try and break your arm. You gotta take these risks. And I wonder if that somehow bleeds into someone making poor choices. Now, obviously we know plenty of fighters who, um, who don't have these problems. In fact, most. Nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, um, I just feel like we're accessing completely different parts of, of the mind when, when we see these types of things. So it's his thoughts on the Max Kellerman interview with Manny Pacquiao following the fight. I have, um, you know, no issues. Uh, Brett Akamoto, UFC says tiers for the Reebok sponsorships are minimums now. Hopeful to sign more deals that could increase amounts. There you go. But single event sponsors are separate. There we go. Told you. They're going to supplement that. There's just no way that's the bottom. The question is, even with supplementation, are fighters going to have a say in how that's done? Are fighters going to have a say in how that's meted out? Are fighters going to have a say in how, what proportion of the money is going to go to them? Now, I'm sure, again, I don't, I don't think UFC is doing any of this in bad faith, but it, in the end, 
that's not okay. Having good faith is fine. You know, it's, it's important. Like it should be noted, but is that going to result in the same amount of money that would be there for the fighters if they were doing this on behalf of themselves? And I just don't see how you can come to the conclusion that it will. I just don't see how you can do that. I just don't see how you can do that. Someone says Anderson Silva has 18 fights. If he fights again, he would make only 15 grand from Reebok. This is nonsense. This is a very bad deal. That's their opinion. Uh, Rogan Jones and brain damage. What do you make of Rogan's comments regarding Jones and brain damage? So he retweeted later an article about Ben Roethlisberger in Sports Illustrated, and a doctor had written that some of the behavior exhibited by Roethlisberger had come from damp all the signs exhibited by him were those also exhibited by people who had frontal lobe damage. Now, you know, you get yourself into trouble when you say things like that publicly when, you know, there's just quite literally no evidence for it. We don't know. And, and also, you know, Jones has a history of making, I think, poor life decisions well before his combat sports career, or I should say his fighting career got started. So how much of this is sort of concussion or, um, you know, brain damage related is, I think, very premature to say. But, you know, I think what I would say is Rogan likes to have conversations in public in ways that mirror how people talk in private. And that's very difficult to do. And it comes at a cost. So, no, I don't know that I'm really ready to accept that idea yet. I think like anyone else, I got to say, let's see if there's evidence. Let's just see if there's evidence, right? What's wrong with that? But um, I, I'm not ready to pull the pitchforks out and you know, crucify Rogan for, I think, trying to have a measure of honesty, even if he was like, even if that was probably a thought he should have kept to himself. Um, I don't think it's the craziest idea in the world, just one that we're not really in a position to accept at this moment. Hendricks Woodley, what do you think, Luke? The Twitter back and forth has started. Who stands the most to gain or lose from the match? Woodley has the most to gain. Hendricks has the most to lose. Number one contender, he has no reason to fight Woodley except it would preserve his position. Uh, Woodley, by contrast, would get revenge from his college wrestling days, could move into the top spot position, uh, all kinds of things. By the way, all everyone who's on Woodley's case about it's not good for my brand to fight Hector Lombard. Hey, you know who was right about that? Tyron Woodley. That's who was right about that. Let's see. We're false. The winner of Miocic Hunt fights the winner of Brown Arlovsky for the number one contendership. I don't think it'll be for the number one contendership, but they might fight each other. The heavyweight division is the worst it's been since Zufa purchased the UFC. False. Kelvin, I mean, have you seen the days of when Sylvia fought Gan McGee? Uh, Kelvin Gastelum is too small for middleweight. Um, true. Gunnar Nelson will never be a top five welterweight. I'll say false. Rubble Johnson fights again at heavyweight before he retires. I will also say true. Don't keep asking about it today, MMA in Japan. I, I promise I'll get back to you on this. I don't have an answer just yet. Are people that excited about a John Jones versus DC rematch? Luke, both you and Ariel have argued that one of the benefits of giving DC the title shot against Rumble 
is that a rematch between John Jones and DC if DC won would be amazing. I am not especially enthusiastic about that rematch. The first fight had a great story with a lot of intrigue. Both fighters were undefeated. There was also the brawl and the various incidents after that. The rematch would have none of those components. Furthermore, I really didn't feel like the first fight was that close. Now, I'll grant that there weren't many options, but to be honest, I would have given Bader a crack at Rumble before DC. You are high. I might have given Gus a rematch with Rumble. Okay, that's fine. Sort of, I guess. On a related note, I am so sick of these fighters monopolizing the title picture after losing. Please explain why you think that DC was a better option than Bader or Gus and what you think is so exciting about a John Jones versus DC rematch. Y'all kill me sometimes with these questions. Um, so, for example, let's just go with this. Ready? Manny Pacquiao comes out after he loses. And he says, ah, my shoulder banged up. Um, tried to get a shot, couldn't. And, you know, and look at the stats. Uh, I, I landed and threw less than even previous Mayweather opponents, much less my own, you know, uh, limits. Would you be interested in a rematch, they say. And Mayweather at the press conference, I was there. I was like, yeah, I don't know. We'll think about it later. Monday, I'm going to give up my belt, which I don't know if he's done yet. Um, and then it comes out that he has to that Pacquiao has to get rotator cuff surgery, and so he might be out up to nine to twelve months or something like that. Then Mayweather comes out and tells Stephen A. Smith, "I've been willing to give Pacquiao a rematch." So let's explain what's happened here. Fight of the century. I thought it was good, but I, again, I completely understand if folks didn't like it. I got, I'm not here to argue about it. It's cool. You didn't like it. No problem. No sweat. Um, so to many people, it comes out being boring, a major letdown, so much so that some people come out and say this is a win for MMA, even though it absolutely is not in any capacity whatsoever. Um, and yet what you have here is the beginning of their second fight. I think people just forget the long con and the amnesia of MMA fans, long con promoters and the amnesia of MMA fans or combat sports fans generally. In this case, we're talking about boxing. In one year's time, they're going to have promotion between these two to get the fight going again and to get people to purchase it because they're going to say, look at Manny's shoulder. Here's some x-rays. Look at how torn apart it was. No wonder the fight couldn't live up to the building. Here's the medical fact behind it. And the drug testing issue is no longer on the table, so that won't happen. Pacquiao will have less uh, because he lost. They'll have they'll be like a 70-30 split on the purse if they have one. Uh, Mayweather can run the whole thing as he wants. And um, since Mayweather already fought him once, he probably likes his chances even better the second time. And they can come out and say it's, it's the last fight for Mayweather. Hell, it might even be the last fight for Pacquiao at that point. This is a fight they can easily, easily, easily sell. Again, I go back to Pacquiao Bradley one. Oh my God, how could this happen? I'll never watch boxing again. And then a few years later, you have the biggest commercial fight in boxing history. All these fans who say, I won't do this again, and I'm out, and I'm out. You're, you're not out. You're upset, and that's okay. And some of you are probably out. But the overwhelming majority of you are just there waiting to be taken again. So why is that related to John Jones versus DC? I'll tell you why. Easy. Number one, their feud isn't dead. Number two, the fight was one-sided, yes, but it wasn't crazy dominant. Um, John Jones did things that were symbolically huge, but not necessarily all that dramatic. A couple of takedowns, you know, okay, great, but that's not the end of the world. 
It's a couple of takedowns. Fifth round was frankly kind of boring. I saw a couple of people, I mean, they're out of their mind, but a couple of people tried to sort of give the fight to DC. So what DC can easily, easily say, and with enough time to promote it, if he's gone long enough, that being John Jones, they can just look you dead in the face. They can say, you know what? I came up short against him the first time. Look how I did in that second round. Look how he, look how he faded John Jones in the fifth. With Cain Velasquez back in this camp, with me understanding who John Jones is and how to fight him, and now with nothing to lose, I'm going to get in there. Excuse me, now with everything to lose with the, with the belt, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to finish what I started in that fifth round. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to show you who the better guy is. Yes, John Jones won the battle. I'm going to win the war. I know how to do it. I know how he breaks. I know how he moves. I know what he wants to do before he even wants to do it now. I hate this guy. I'm going to make it happen. You mean to tell me you can't sell that fight? You can sell that fight like that. Like that. And you'll buy it, and I'll buy it, and we'll all buy it. And maybe it'll go in there and John will blow the doors off of Daniel. I don't know. Or maybe Daniel might win. That's the whole point. The whole point is that can you make a compelling case, not as just a sales angle, but as a competition angle? And how many guys in wrestling will tell you, yeah, I lost to that guy the first seven times I wrestled, but I didn't give up, and the eighth time I won. You watch any Division I national wrestling championship, you will find guys in the title uh, matches. The, this is it. The winner is the winner of this 125-pound weight class or whatever the case may be. And they'll be like, yeah, this guy lost to the guy three times this season, and then the other, other guy will win. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. These wrestlers have fit fantastic athletic amnesia. And so, so you know, maybe the fan base isn't, uh, you know, a little skeptical. That's nothing a little fight promotion can't fix. And then if it comes, if it happens to be the return of John Jones himself, are you kidding? That's like Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. Yes, you know, Darth cut his hand off, I think, in the second one, but then comes Luke back, right? And they, get, and they kill Senator Palpatine the whole bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where that comes from. But whatever the case may be, it's easy to do, man. It's easy to do. The defeat was not so not so bad that they can't sell a rematch under the right conditions. And the right conditions are utterly apparent. Uh, what do you think about this Metamora 6 matchups and the pay-per-view only aspect? Um, I don't know what they're doing, man. I really don't know what they're doing. I do not know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing. Not having an audience, so you're just giving away money that could go to um, ticket sales. Not allowing media. Not even allowing the, uh, you know, the competitors to promote it. I don't understand. I just don't get it. I don't understand what value that could possibly have. You talk to people inside uh, who know Halleck and know Metamorris, and they tell you he likes to experiment with ideas. I appreciate that. I really do. I appreciate that. Um, maybe he'll come out and surprise us. You know, I certainly am. I don't have all the answers. I, I am willing to entertain, um, you know, uh, what he might do and, and take a look at it and give it the benefit of the doubt. I'll be covering it on Saturday here uh, um, for my laptop. But, um, it's a weird one, right? Like, we're going to push out an audience, we're going to push out media, and we're only going to invite people through pay-per-view. What could possibly be the benefit of that, of limiting access? Limiting access to something that, like is Pacquiao Mayweather, is one thing. Limiting access to something that people are on the fence about, that you're trying to go, that in the case of women, they might have some concerns about um, 
you know, whether their dollar deserves to go to that kind of promotion. Um, this seems to me deeply backwards, deeply backwards. You know, I, I really wonder, like he, um, Halle Gracie uh, ha, believes that, here's, here's what I think about it in the end. I think it's very indulgent of them to do this. Now, I don't mean indulgent in a, a way where it's like, this is all good for me and bad for you. I don't mean that. I think that Halleck really loves jiu-jitsu. I 100% believe that. I think he absolutely loves and wants to grow Morris. I 100% believe that. I think he's trying to do what's both good for the sport and for the brand. I don't, you know, I don't know that he can do both, but I think he, at least in his mind, would like to try to do both. And if you disagree with his actions, or that may be his intentions anyway. But I think he's got these views about how to present it that are antithetical to just industry practices that come from a artistic view, I think, in his mind of how things should look, you know, and I think that's ultimately indulging your own sensibilities at business realities. And I don't know that that's a really smart way to do your business. Let's see, let's go back to the Twitter machine for a second if we can. Wouldn't a ranking-based sponsor have been better for fighters or at least play some part in the Reebok deal? You know, you know what would have been better is no sponsor tax. <laughs> that would have been better. I've always said it before. That never had to be money. All that had to do, all that had to be was an administrative thing. Well, you know, we don't want Condom Depot in there. Okay, you don't have to, like, just say no. Just say no. But they were making money off of that. Right. It never had never. I mean, they it's their right to do that, but it never had to be that way. So if you want to, like, eliminate sponsors from the market, that was cool. But um, that always that never had to be a pay a pay process. That could always have just have been administrative. And I don't understand why it's not, frankly. I mean, I, I, I guess I do to make money, but um, I guess now that's gone away. So who knows how much Reebok is paying him for that? Let's see. I bet the UFC is praying for Jones versus DC in the garden with Weidman versus Rockhold in tow. UFC 100 level stuff there. Yeah, I don't know if Jones will be back that fast, but yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. I don't know how likely that is, but that would certainly be interesting. Which pay-per-view do you predict will have the highest buy rate of the year? The one that John Jones is on. Uh, Miles Jury trashing Reebok. Miles Jury recently posted a photo of his Reebok apparel in the trash. What are your thoughts on this and what repercussions do you foresee? Um, looked to me like he threw away a lot of ugly shoes. Uh, MMA black fans. Oh, here we go. Y'all are constantly pulling me into race discussions, aren't you? Chris Rock recently recorded a video, it was for uh, HBO Sports, about baseball losing black America, about how the NFL and NBA have a thriving black fan base and a youthful generation of fans to go with it. I've noticed most MMA crowds at bars and arenas resemble the crowds at Red Sox games. This is true. Why is this? Because it's a new generation of fans that appeal to white people. Not exclusively, but predominantly. Um, and so folks don't get all upset at me. When you go to these fights, big and small, 
I would argue that at boxing events, now maybe not Mayweather Pacquiao, I, don't, I didn't even, I don't even know what you would call that. It's so different. But generally speaking, if you go see a fight at the Barclays Center, it, the racial diversification is a little bit stronger there than it is at MMA events. It's just the way it goes. Do you think boxing's roots in black culture is what allows it to have events like Mayweather Pacquiao and to reach into a casual market that at least Zufa owned UFC seemingly won't have? Uh, certainly boxing does have roots in black America. I think that's carried itself through. A lot of gyms are in inner cities. A lot of um, participants are Latino or African-American. I think that's all true. Um, I don't think the UFC raising a generation of fans to be fight fans and that they being white is something regrettable. I just think it's a fact. Um, and I do think the UFC is making inroads into Latin America and to, which is different, Chicano America. Um, I don't know how much inroads they've made towards, um, or how much progress anyway, they've made towards capturing the African-American audience, but certainly they think they do a pretty fine job of making sure that, um, you know, they have, look, fighting is very racial. Fighting is very nationalistic, and you got to have the different parts in place to get the kind of audiences you want. I think, at least from the card perspective, they've done that um, to the extent that they can with the current crop of whoever's out there. Whether that's been successful or not, I think is a separate conversation. Melvin Gillard. What are your thoughts on Melvin Gillard joining Bellator? I was surprised by this, you know. Um, I was surprised that this happened. I, I had thought that what had happened to him at World Series of Fighting was so... So Melvin, uh, that no one would want him, that um, he was difficult to work with, he was missing weight, he couldn't beat guys that he would otherwise should have beaten. Um, I don't think he ever performed up to his potential there. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I was a little surprised by that. But maybe, you know, maybe the thought of, you know, being back on Spike TV, getting a little more sponsor money, um, being able to compete in a division with other elite guys. Um, maybe that was enough for him. Maybe Bellator was, maybe Bellator was like, look, we'll, we'll make some things happen for you on this end as well. They, you know, Malky Cobble was on the MMA hour, said his offer was really good. That it was so good that he's actually going to work with Bellator and Scott Coker and all those guys. So uh, I found it surprising, but in the end of the day, um, if both are interested in doing business with one another, I, I'm not sure what else I can really add to the conversation from that point. I, I guess I'll just see what kind of Melvin we get at this point and then make a determination from there. Let's see here. Let's see. Quick fire, yes or no? Melvin Gillard fights in the UFC again, no. Nick Diaz fights within a year from now, yes. Phil Davis is the Bellator Light Heavyweight Champ by 2016. Yes. Anthony Pettis will regain his belt. Man, I'm so high on him. I'll say no for now. I hope I'm wrong. Rich Franklin fights again. No. Mighty Mouse never loses at flyweight. False. Uh, Mark Hunt gets another title shit <laughs> in the future. That's what this person wrote. False. Mayweather Pacquiao 2 happens. True. How did Chael Sonnen know John Jones versus Anthony Johnson fight wouldn't happen? I did not call him back last week. I should have done it. I haven't done it yet. I swear I'm going to do it. 
Bill says, Luke, are you still protecting John Jones fights again this year? Uh, yes, I am. I mean, he's, I don't think this is one of those like one day in rehab situations, but I also don't think it's like, you know, a dominant cruise out two years kind of thing. I, I just think that's silly. Thoughts on the revamped UFC Hall of Fame? Look, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, we'll see how it goes, but it's like the same question with everything, man. Is Frank Shamrock going to be in there appropriately or not? You know, is Fedor Emelianenko going to be in there appropriately or not? Um, frankly, you know, they can say whatever they want. Is a hall? If, if you're going to do a Hall of Fame, you're going to do it the right way. Is Vanderlei Silva going to be in there or not? Right? That's to me the issue. And if they're not, cool, do your thing. I don't really care. If it is, then I'll give it a second look. But this is a very simple litmus test to me. Does the recent news about Nick Diaz being tested three times within two of those tests being negative give him something legit to stand on against Nevada? Not really. Um, so people have been wondering, how can you test positive at different windows and then negative at different windows, all in very tight windows themselves? The reason why is because even if you stop smoking uh, or using, however you were ingesting the marijuana, you know, uh, I don't know if he was eating it or whatever, however he was putting it into his body, even after you stop, it can fluctuate as your metabolism digests it over the course of several days, right? It can go up and down and cross certain thresholds. So to me that he failed some and passed some all within a tight window without actually using, which I think is what the case is here, not surprising at all. It can jump up and down. It doesn't just go literally down like that. It kind of goes like this a little bit and then it sinks. But it can jump up above normal levels and then sink back the next day and then go back up again. It's crazy like that. So, so no, I mean, I think, if anything, that confirms he used. But the question is not whether he used. The question is whether he used in an in-competition window, given the own rules on their books. And since they don't know the answer to that, there should be no punishment. Seems fair to me, right? Did you or did you not commit the crime? Luke, what's the most times you could ever bench 225? God, it's a good question. I haven't lifted weights in years um, after I got my shoulder injury. Uh, the most would have been during my Marine Corps days. I want to say 14, but I'm not sure. I think 14, but I'm really not sure. But that was like, you know, I mean, I, was, I wasn't taking anything illegal, but if it was over the counter, your boy was shoving it down his mouth and in the gym six days a week. That's all I cared about. Uh, let's see. Yeah, wow. Can't believe these numbers, man. Uh, let's go to the Twitter machine before we get out of here. Uh, when will Luke Thomas's piss return? I don't know. I am so worn out that I don't want to do it poorly. Um, so I'm going to wait till I feel better. Someone says, I don't think I've ever seen an African-American at a sports bar showing MMA. Well, I definitely have. So I can, I can assure you that they're there. Not in huge numbers, of course, but they're there. Maybe it's because I live in California, but if I go to a sports bar showing MMA, there's a huge amount of Latinos there. And that's um, 
could be just California, but I also think I think they've done a better job of capturing the Latino market. Obviously, Cain Velasquez helps. Someone told me something interesting, a, uh, a journalist that I saw there who lives in Mexico. He was telling me that Canelo, who is Mexican, obviously, is popular in Mexico, but not all that popular, but that he is way more popular um, among Mexican-Americans. Mexican-Americans really like Canelo, but it's there's a difference in how the audiences are interested in him. And so I think the UFC has done a really good job of capturing the Mexican-American audience. We'll see how it goes with the Mexican ones. But they're also saying, like, you know, that no one knows who Henry Cejudo is over there right now. And, of course, that could change very quickly. We'll see how things go. But, like, even the bad fighters on The Ultimate Fighter are much more well-known and popular than good fighters with, you know, Latino names or heritage or even the ability to speak Spanish or relatives who are Mexican or, or anything like that. Um. Let's, uh, let's see. Any idea if Bellator has a sponsor tax or how well their fighters do with sponsors? I know they do not have a sponsor tax. I don't know what the numbers would be for their sponsors. So it's something I can look into. You think the ultimate fighter should end and instead do a tournament or a cup, make it with countries, maybe four to five weight classes. Here's what I think. And I am guilty of doing this too. Um, everyone always says, oh, what the, what the Ultimate Fighter needs is to change. Let's make it live. It bombs. Let's, um, let's do a reunion show or a season four. Bombs. Let's, uh, let's, let's put it uh, camp versus camp outside the, the normal setting. Bombs. Ultimate Fighter only does well when it just stays to what it is, basically. A bunch of donks in a house uh, urinating each other's sushi you know, putting upper deckers in their toilets and then fighting on Sundays or whatever, you know, whatever the hell they do. That's really the only thing that people want to watch. And even then, I think that has sort of run out of uh, its, its, its time. So here's what I'd say, two things. One, I think we've shown that iterating the Ultimate Fighter in a deep departure from what it normally is, is a bad idea. But I also don't think that keeping it around is the best idea. I think coming up with a different show that's totally different, or at least you know, meaningfully different anyway, is the only way forward. Um, so there you go. That's what I have to say. I think that the ratings for the season, there's just like no buzz for it. And how could there be? It's the 78th season by this point, you know. Everything has a shelf life. doesn't make it bad. You know, even great steak gets moldy after a while, right? So um, there you go. So I'll point that out. Uh, by the way, last thing, uh, uh, Brendan Chobb, I've made six figures in sponsorships in each of my last six fights. There you go. Enjoy that. All right. I have to get out of here. I want to thank everyone for watching. Uh, thank you for everyone who enjoyed the uh, Mayweather Canelo coverage. I know a lot of you guys, Mayweather Canelo, Mayweather uh, Pacquiao coverage. I know a lot of you guys, uh, you know, MMA only. That's cool. Got nothing. I'm not here to talk you out of it. It's fine. Um, and I know some of the content we put up was just strictly boxing. I know I got the Cain Velasquez and Javier Mendez and, and Mark Ratner interviews. Just want to say, if you ever sent me a kind note or you give it a thumbs up or you watch or you shared any of those videos, thank you very much. I really, truly appreciate it. Um, in ways I cannot even describe to you, covering that event was a ridiculously difficult challenge. But I feel like with your support and with the support of obviously SB Nation and, um, and everyone on the team here, we were able to make something happen that we were all ultimately pretty proud of. Um, 
but thank you for watching. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for giving it a chance. And um, it means a lot. It really does. You may email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Follow me on Twitter at sbnlukethomas. And I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash luketsports. Until next time, ladies and gents, stay frosty.